for their underwriting of the SFA Cajun Country Virtual Summer Field Trip, their investment in the SFA mission, and their support of this episode of Gravy. SFA thanks our friends from Avery Island, Louisiana. McElhaney Company, maker of Tabasco brand products. These days, we all search for that thread, the one that connects us to life before COVID-19, a life where we went to work in an office and ate Swedish fish by the handful from a bag shared with seven other people. A life where supper might be a takeout order called in as we left work at 6.30. Or even better, Supper might begin with a five o'clock happy hour that stretches into a shared supper of a dozen oysters and an order of frites. That longing for the before, or at least some connection to what we left behind, connects all listeners in this pandemic-affected world. It connects them to new immigrants to the South. Cut off from what they once knew, challenged by forces great and small to recalibrate, Immigrants to the South have long proved nimble as they remake their new world. As they adjust to new jobs, new neighbors, new routines. Listen to this story from a Louisiana immigrant family with roots in Venezuela, and you hear the sort of resilience that will be required of all Southerners. Plus, there are arepas in this episode. Arepas. Did you hear me? Beautiful, downy, Delicious arepas. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your host for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. Producer Sarah Holtz takes us to Patacon, a restaurant in Lafayette, where the hundreds of miles between Louisiana and Venezuela contract. When he isn't in class at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, Daniel Lugo helps his mom run their bustling Venezuelan restaurant, Petacon Latin Cuisine. Though many of their regulars are from the area, it's not unusual for someone brand new to Louisiana to walk into the restaurant and leave with a feeling of solidarity and support. We have people who show up, they don't speak any English. And they'll be like, oh, I've only been here in the United States for two months. And I'll be like, mom, <laughs> go talk to them. And then she'll sit down and she'll be like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Maracaibo. Oh, that's where my kids are from. And that kind of thing. And they'll start talking. And it kind of almost serves as almost like a weird therapeutic. Like, this is like basic things you need to know when living here. Because she went through that same thing and arguably almost by herself. There's a reason why Daniel says his mom was alone at that time. His parents, Jose and Wanda Lugo, left Maracaibo, Venezuela with Daniel and his older and younger sisters, Maria and Maria, in 2006, several years before the country fell into political chaos. The Lugo family's ability to secure a visa hinged on Jose's job as an electrical engineer for Halliburton, a Houston-based oil company. Jose's work regularly dispatches him across the Western Hemisphere. So Wanda and the children, who share a remarkably close bond, forged a new life in Lafayette, largely on their own. <laughs> the Lugo family was kind enough to meet me at Patacone on a Sunday, their one day off per week. The space is cheerful and welcoming, the marigold walls adorned with reminders of the Lugo's home country. I asked about a woven wall hanging, 
and Daniel took it down to show me that it's a representation of the Venezuelan flag that one of their customers made for them. Even though it was the Lugo family's day off from the restaurant, Wanda's niece, Elemar Mendoza, disappeared into the kitchen as we settled in and came out minutes later with a plate of tequeños, which are spears of fried dough filled with queso blanco, and suspiro cookies, which resemble meringues. Wanda told me her family's story while Daniel translated. He jumped back and forth between Spanish and English, bursting into laughter when Elamar or Jose made a joke. He translated for his mom, who's shy about her English. So right now she's just like, I feel so pressed. No. And I'm like, it's okay. No, no, I, I just said when, when they come to talk, I just said, okay, I can explain you everything. I can explain you. <laughs> and that's it. Wanda is referring to some of her elderly English-speaking customers, who often come in with a bevy of questions about the food and Venezuela in general. While she loves to answer their questions and discuss her home country at length, it's difficult to find the vocabulary to speak in a second language about the complexity of Venezuela. As the Venezuelan economy began to show signs of trouble, Jose requested a transfer from Halliburton's office in Maracaibo to basically anywhere outside of Venezuela. It was great timing on his part, as things in Venezuela have only become more restrictive. Particularly in 2018, when the U.S. and other nations placed widespread sanctions on companies associated with the administration of Nicolas Maduro. Eric Smith is the associate director of the Tulane Energy Institute, and he explained how oil and gas volatility affects Venezuelans on a daily basis. The crude oil was the lifeblood of the Venezuelan economy, and they have gone from being a producer of four or five million barrels a day to less than a million barrels a day, which isn't even enough to produce the gasoline to run the home country. You know, so it's, it's a pretty dire situation despite the fact they have some of the largest crude reserves in the world. By 2019, more than 15% of the entire Venezuelan population had left the country. That's around 5 million people. Many Venezuelans live without running water, and oil workers, who have seen their co-workers pass out from hunger on the job, have joined this mass exodus. Daniel grew up against the backdrop of Venezuela's political tumult. In 2013, when Daniel was 15 years old, then-President Hugo Chavez died. Chavez had recently begun his fourth term in office, and Vice President Nicolas Maduro assumed the presidency. According to Daniel, the situation in Venezuela deteriorated sharply from there. He had what the current leader doesn't, which is charisma. So even if things were really poor, he was able to like rally the people and say, listen, we're going to be able to do well. Like We're going to get out of this. It's going to be fine, right? His death almost directly affected everything in the country. But I think that's where like the really kind of hyperinflation period began, as like prices skyrocketed, things went off the rocket. Um, it was, that was around 2015. The political disorder in Venezuela has a direct impact on the Gulf Coast region economically, and now culturally as well. In the past decade, the Venezuelan community in Acadiana has ballooned, as more and more oil field workers seek stable employment in southern refineries. According to Eric, this migration pattern is unlikely to change anytime soon, as workers continue to find greater stability in places like Houston, and of course Lafayette, which remains the center of Louisiana's oil and gas industry. What I will tell you is that up until the sanctions were put on Venezuela, Venezuela was extremely important to Louisiana as a source 
of a particular heavy grade of crude. Latino immigrants are a more diverse group than some Americans realize, especially by socioeconomic measures. Food writer Sandra Gutierrez, who was raised in Guatemala City and now lives in North Carolina, has worked to debunk many of these myths. She was the first Latinx food columnist in the United States and has become a celebrated voice of what she calls the Nuevo South. I asked Sandra about the role of class in migration from countries like Venezuela. With Latin America, what's happened is that a lot of the people who chose to immigrate to the United States during the 90s and 2000s also include people from different professional backgrounds. You have teachers, you have former executives, you have women who were working outside of the home, you have um, students, you have uh, doctors. It's not only one particular hardship or one particular political group that is escaping strife, but there are people from different countries, because every country is different, who are escaping their own evil and are coming to the United States and staying here to provide a better future for their families. The Lugo family is fairly representative of this paradigm. Fortunately, Venezuela and Louisiana's oil field connection created options for the Lugos when Jose was looking for a transfer. I, I talked to my uh, supervisor and said I needed something else. And the last time, supposed to be a go to Mexico, but in Mexico, the guys need to send somebody to here, to a new Iberia. And the person asked me, say, you want to come over here? He said, you have the job for me, I don't have any problem to come over here. Jose recalled that Wanda agreed to leave Venezuela with barely a moment's hesitation. I fact-checked that with Wanda, and she corroborated, remarking that apart from the language barrier, she had one main question about her future home. She says, I like to eat a lot of fish, and all he said was, there's a lot of seafood there. <laughs> Even if Venezuela and Louisiana share a love for seafood, the cultural and linguistic hurdles that the Lugo family faced in adapting to life in Lafayette were immediate. Daniel gives his mom a lot of credit, with three kids and a husband working hours away on the Gulf Coast, and eventually in Alaska. She's become a really strong person, and she really uh, tries hard to make sure that we're all healthy from the very beginning. You might have heard Wanda cut in there. At that moment, I caught a glimpse of Wanda beaming at her son, for whom she used to make arepas from scratch to pack in his school lunches. And they weren't just for Daniel. As soon as Wanda's family began to long for food that tasted of home, she started making arepas, the stuffed cornmeal pockets that are a mainstay of Venezuelan cuisine. A lot of arepas. Just ahead, we'll learn how Wanda's arepas paved the way for a restaurant. By the way, they're good. Really good. So good if you put your nose on the radio, you can almost smell them. But first... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. While we've dealt with uncertain times this year, 
there's comfort in the idea of embracing the slower pace to dust off an old cookbook, give to those in need, grab items from the pantry for a bit of creative cooking, and to focus on those we hold dear. Made in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Lodge makes cast iron cookware seasoned and ready to use for any culinary curveball life throws your way. Whether you're in need of a Dutch oven to embark on a new bread baking adventure, a versatile cast iron skillet to use on the stovetop or the oven, or a new griddle or grill pan to send to a friend who is far away. Lodge's cast iron is made of just iron and oil and has been manufactured in Tennessee since 1896. Gather your ingredients, invite your friends, whether it be in person or over a screen, and break bread together. For Lodge's cast iron support of our return to home cooking and this podcast, we thank them. En mi casa cocinaba todos los días. She used to cook in her house every day. Mi esposo le fascina comer arepa. My husband loves to eat uh, arepas. Y bueno, un buen día él me dijo, vamos a, a abrir para vender arepas. A mí me gusta cocinar, pero me gusta que las cosas me queden bien hechas. Eh, y bueno. She says, when my, so my husband approached me and, she, and told me that we should open a restaurant. And um, I like my things to be really well done. That was obvious from my first visit to Patacón. From the arepas to the tres leches cake, it's clear that Wanda does not cut corners. So, nine years after the Lugos arrived in Lafayette, Wanda opened Patacón in a former plumbing supply store, to fanfare that she never would have expected. Ooh, <laughs> the first day? Oh my God, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I think it's one of the busiest days we've had in our five-year history. The restaurant's namesake dish became a fast favorite, a serving of meat, seafood, or cheese sandwiched between two large fried plantain patties. The word patacón comes from colonial-era Spanish and Portuguese silver currency. Hence, the plantains are fried and flattened like coins. Wanda's specific preparation comes from her home region in Venezuela. She explained how she decided to name the restaurant after this particular entree. Mm. <laughs> In the state we're from, which is Zulia, um, the plantain is a very popular cooking ingredient. They use it to make patacones. A lot of the rest of the country generally doesn't know about it because it's very centralized around Zulia. But she said that coming from there, that's kind of like what she thought would be like the right thing to do because it's so ingrained in her culture. Uh, and she drew a comparison between it's kind of like saying crawfish in Louisiana. Um, that's kind of the best way you can say it. Like, here, crawfish is very big, right? But you go to Kansas, and good luck finding good crawfish, even crawfish, period. And this is a decidedly 21st century success story. When Wanda set about researching her patacon recipe, she didn't have any dog-eared family cookbooks or heirloom recipes to refer to. She went straight to the internet. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Algunas cosas, la... Being from the region, she had her general gist of how everything goes, like what kind of sauces, how to do it, right? But her aid of the internet was to sort of be able to get it down to a science. After the excitement of their opening week settled down, Patacon developed a fierce following of mostly locals. Though Daniel has noticed that on Saturdays, customers will come from farther afield for a Patacon. I've seen people who come from Baton Rouge, there are people who come from Lake Charles, Houston, New Orleans, and I'm 
kind of taken aback because I feel like they're here because, oh, they're going to come here and they say, oh, we heard this restaurant, so we wanted to stop by. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you drove three hours. <laughs> I guess I can count myself in that number. When I arrived at Patacon for the first time, after a two and a half hour drive, it was high noon on a Friday. The lunch rush had populated all of Patacon's tables by the time I took my first bite of the Pabellon Criollo, a plate of black beans, rice, shredded beef, and fried plantains. I chatted with the guys at the table next to mine, Jared and Diego, who asked to go by their first names. Jared explained how he first heard about Patacon. Uh, through a friend of mine. He's, uh, he probably comes here two or three times a week. It's a great local place. His friend Diego is quickly becoming a regular. Well, I live in that neighborhood, so I drive by it all the time. So I checked it out, and then we work together. So this is, what, our third time here? New customers often become regulars. LMR works the front and back of the house at Patacon six days a week. She's memorized the orders for her best customers. We know how when some people want the beef patacon or chicken arepa or the patacon without the tomatoes or lettuce because it's, they are coming every day. I spoke to another patacon regular, a former ULL student named Cole Lesby. Cole knows exactly what he's going to order before he walks through the door. A patacon. <laughs> always. Always. And sometimes I get an empanada as well, but I love their patacons. The Lugos don't spend any money on advertising. So Cole is another regular who heard about Patacon just by word of mouth. Yeah, and I was actually introduced to it by a Venezuelan friend of mine who came, and so that's how I found out about it. At least for me, I've never had food like this before in Lafayette. So that's what I love about it. In the five years since Patacon opened, Wanda has provided a taste of home for Venezuelan Americans. And she's introduced the broader community to her native cuisine. Living in Lafayette has influenced her too. She offers crawfish in season, which is a popular choice on Lenten Fridays. Daniel says that Patacon's native Louisianan customers have also given him a vocabulary for describing his family's own food, via the common ingredients that they share. The cornmeal-based arepas are one example. And I'm really thankful because a lot of people will often, after they eat it, they'll be like, that was like this, or that was like that. Um, and that really helps me, or Ellie as well as when she works the front, right? to understand how to explain it to the next person. One person was like, it reminds me of a grits cake. And I goes, okay, I've never had a grits cake, but I'll say it if it means people will culturally understand. For many customers, Patacon was their first taste of Venezuelan cuisine. And that came with its share of growing pains, moments when the staff had to wade through difficult interactions. There are times where, uh, like little, what, what I guess people call microaggressions, <laughs> uh, little things where uh, I kind of just attribute them to lack of knowledge. Uh, you do have people who will say things like, can I have that, right? And it's because they might not want to pronounce it. So I often tell them, I have to tell them, I say, I, because again, I'm, I'm the son of the owner. I have, <laughs> I'm not going to get fired. But I do often tell them, I say, you're more than welcome. Like, you can pronounce it. I, I tell them, I had to learn English. And trust me, I butchered a lot of words. <laughs> and like, I, don't, I don't think that's a way to challenge them. For the most part, a lot of people, for every one of those people, we have somebody, like, if, if it's like 80% of people who do that, right, from their first visit, on the second visit, it goes down like 40% people will give it a try. Patacon is part of what keeps the Lugo family rooted in Lafayette. But with that comes a disconnection from their extended family, who are all back in Venezuela, where living conditions are near an all-time low. Wanda remembers being shocked when she visited last summer. 
A mí realmente no me... No me Economically, she didn't feel that affected, but that's because she was carrying uh, U.S. dollars on her. So that's how she was able to sort of get by. Um, but that what she did notice was a lot of the structures, a lot of houses were in a massive state of disrepair. Places were on the verge of collapse and whatnot. And that's something that, like, I think hits her a lot. <laughs> These days, Wanda and Jose have a room in their house dedicated to storing goods to send back to their family. Simple things that many of us take for granted, like soap or kids' toys. Those items are indispensable in a country where the minimum wage is $3 per month. Not per hour or day, per month. We have this room in, in our house. Uh, we had we had a, this vision of, it's going oh, to be a gym room, we're all going to get in shape. Uh, but slowly due to this, frankly, not using it, <laughs> Ellie would go to like, stores and be like, oh, I think... My mother really needs this, or I think my father really needs this, or um, my nephew really needs this. And she'll keep buying and buying and buying. Um, and that room ended up just becoming the stockpile of, of <laughs> everything. For the Lugos, it's disheartening to see the overwhelmingly negative headlines about Venezuela. But Daniel finds solace in the possibility that their restaurant could be an exception. Venezuela in general is definitely the news more often than not now, but uh, I'm happy that it's about food and not, and not anything else. <laughs> As a food writer, Sandra Gutierrez has a similar goal, to share the vast riches of Latin American cooking through her writing. With the Venezuelan economy in sharp decline, Venezuelan foodways have become a focal point of her research. I am particularly worried about the food of Venezuela and doing a lot of research on the food of Venezuela right now because as the country is becoming more and more disenfranchised, uh, I'm afraid that a lot of the food traditions are going to disappear because... Uh, they're disappearing within the country. People are not able to eat the foods that they were. A restaurant can be a vital connection to home. It can also serve as a sort of ambassador. Jose hopes that Patacon is a place where anyone can find a small piece of Venezuela in Louisiana. We try to show the people, you know, from the other country, like the United States, how is um, the Venezuelan friendly people, you know, it's like a before. Maybe right now it's just a little different because the situation is changing. I, I remember one of the customers say it's like a little Venezuelan, you know, for the United States. And it's true. The Lugos receive daily reminders of all the ways in which Patacon is a lifeline for many of their regulars. Yesterday, uh, a lady came and she tried the soup and she started crying because she said she reminded her of her mother's soup. So, what for us is like I don't we like we laugh about it, but it's kind of like a it's it's a strange. It's, I think it's a very strange but very moving experience as well um, to be able to serve those people. There's people who come and they'll say, "I haven't been in Venezuela for 30 years," <laughs> and 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 this really kind of brings it back. The food that the Lugos serve may be food of survival, but now they have a community supporting and counting on their survival. At one time yesterday, <laughs> uh, somebody walked in. I was like, oh, here you go, sir. I was like, anything else we can do? And then the tea tells me, he's like, just don't close. <laughs> and I'm just like, my heart. Sarah Holtz produced this episode of Gravy. As of May 11th, Patacon is open for pickup orders and carry and bake at home meals. Special thanks go to Wendell Patrick, who composed Gravy's theme music, and Jazar, who did the same dang thing for our donor music, and Ryan Fertel for his Lafayette expertise. 
Managing Editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Ready to put Patacon on your dining bucket list? Let the free SFA Stories app lead the way. Visit southernfoodways.org to learn more about the app and more about us. If you love this podcast, share that love. Tell a friend and rate us on your podcast player. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.